Welcome to No Challenges Remaining, our usually annual, most years we get around to it, Remember When episode for 2020. I'm Ben Rothenberg, always remembering my dear friend Courtney Wynn. Hi, Courtney. How are you? I'm doing well, Ben. And how are you? Happy December. Happy December to you as well. We were just sort of talking before we started recording about how this like year feels very different for this show. Like remembering things and experiencing things was very different in 2020. And there's obviously, as you will know, like going to be a very clear break on uh, in the episode about like in chronologically when we stopped, when we were going to things and when we stopped going to things, when we experienced things remotely and in person. So I'm just curious before we, before we get started, like what was this exercise of like try and get your notes together or whatever for 2020? How, how did it feel? in vague terms. Yeah, it, I think the initial challenge for me was trying to divorce how I felt about the 2020 tennis season, literally the on-court results and the storylines and the narratives of what would be normal tennis, you know, under any other circumstance, trying to to divorce that or untangle that and my feelings about that from my feelings about 2020 as a year yeah and it you know i don't anybody who has listened to ncr this throughout you know you know since february knows about you know the arc and the struggles i think both of us have had with respect to once the shutdown came and once so much uncertainty hit the tennis tour but even more so so much uncertainty hit our lives uh in addition to just living in the midst of a deadly global pandemic that it was just hard to care about what was happening after March. And maybe, obviously, I think that, that you can talk about it separately from your experience. For myself, there was an uptick of that once tennis returned. So once, you know, we got back to to to, to work uh, for me effectively in, in Palermo and then Palermo rolled into Prague and Prague rolled into Lexington, rolled into Cincinnati, New York, U.S. Open. You know, it was really nonstop. But... My memories of January and February, so being in Australia and then being in Doha, which was my final tournament on site, are so much more vivid and crisp and clear yeah. in my head compared to the effectively, what, eight weeks or so of tennis? Longer than that, I suppose. But, but tennis that we got once we returned in July. It's all very much... A mushy pile of potatoes uh, from from August um, on. Yeah, because for me, I feel very similarly. And for me, it's weird because usually when we do the Remember When episodes, the tricky parts or the hazy parts is January, right? Is the beginning of the year. It's the stuff that 10, 11 months has passed since we've experienced it and kind of piecing it back together. I'm like, oh, yeah, I remember this, that, whatever. And that's still kind of the case in 2020. Like those are still like distant memories, but they're also in some ways the clearest ones we have because those are what we were there in person for. And when I'm thinking about how I experienced the French Open, which was the most recent major tennis event, right? It was me sitting at my desk at my computer, which is something I've been doing, you know, in various forms, you know, since in this room, since April, whether it was binge watching, you know, British game shows, or watch, you know, it all kind of is just like in the same place and the and right. the scenery doesn't change. And we're so used to these rhythms of 
being along the traveling circus of tour and having this the scenery shift all the time even if the players stay the same the people stay the same largely like having it be a moving picture and here only very small parts of the picture move right uh, only you know the, our screens moved and so that makes it like it just it makes it much smaller if like you're if you're watching sort of staring at an envelope and only the postage stamp is changing it still is you know the same envelope and, it, and that's sort of how it feels for parts of this so it's, it's a very it's a less in a lot of ways it's gonna be a less sort of visceral memories we have of things like you know even like big things like Djokovic getting defaulted from the U.S. Open, let's say like that was like a big like, <gasps> do you remember where you were when you did that? I was like, yeah, I was in my room. Like, of course, <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's, it's it's very pinky in the brain. Like, what are you going to do tonight? What are we going to do tonight? Uh, brain, we're going to do what we do every night. Pinky, we're going to try and take over the world. It This is the pandemic has kind of felt like that in a lot of ways. It's like, what were you doing? What I did the entire pandemic. That's what I was doing when X happened, when this happened. It's just like. You know, it, it's yeah, it's it's tough. It's tough to sort it out. And you're right. I think that the lack of change of scenery and just, and you know, as just common sense, like the lack of electricity that we yeah. and adrenaline that adrenaline we are, is a that, big one. that we are used to enjoying, not enjoying like, oh, it's a good time, but like that we get the benefit of the adrenaline. We're running on fumes during slams. I mean, like it's exhausting and it's a very high stress environment, but it helps you do your job. And yeah. here it's like rolling out of bed every day at 1.30 a.m., forcing myself to go to sleep at 4 p.m. the night before. Like all of this sort of stuff, you know, it uh, for weeks on end, trying to get excited about something that's happening in the middle of the night. Like I'm so clearly, you know, when we're in Australia, we know it's happening in the middle of the night in the U.S., but it's not the middle of the night for us there. But here, yeah. like covering the French Open at 4 or 5 o'clock in the morning, West Coast time it was hard. It was hard to motivate. And therefore you're distracted. You're distracted. You can't really focus on the thing that's happening. I'm not a neurologist, obviously, but I do feel like there has to be some sort of tie between like adrenaline spikes and things like that and memory. Like you're going to oh, remember course, things yeah. that made you feel emotion memory. And right. So we have this very sort of largely flat picture for me, especially, I feel like I was better at being dialed into us open. It was the first one, but for me, like everything after us open and my list of like stuff has very little after us open, like some French open stuff, but like nothing after French open. Um, and that's always kind of how I do this show. Cause obviously things happen like two weeks ago. It's like, I remember this, of course, I remember this, whatever, even though nothing's really happened in the last while. Um, all that is to say, yeah, it's gonna be interesting sorting through stuff. And I will, I think it's going to be a, pretty january heavy show sort of you know in terms of chronology at the show because january i do remember i mean it was a while ago again it was 11 months ago 11 and a half months ago if you want to say but i remember a bunch of stuff that seems like really like quaint in retrospect like because we just did not no one knew this shit show that awaited humanity in terms of the pandemic um that was it was coming... inno- it was more innocent times like you yeah, could I still, I, you could enjoy still, the the little things. I still remember because Carol Bouchard, who because I've never been to Wuhan. Um, I tried going once in 2014. 2014. Is that right? Whatever the first year of Wuhan was, 2014. I yeah. tried going in 2014. Couldn't get a visa. Haven't gotten a visa since. Haven't really tried it since. But was <laughs> clear they didn't want me there because of China, New York Times issues, whatever. Um, I'm over it. Uh, and it so I've never like been it. to Wuhan. So I don't have as tight a connection to Wuhan as a lot of people in tennis, particularly who co- cover women's tennis do. So I remember, and this is going out of order, but this is sort of 
it's a big picture thing. Like uh, Carol Bouchard, who's been to Wuhan many times, loves Wuhan. She was following or getting much more like I was sort of seeing the headlines about what was happening in Wuhan with the with the disease uh, in the early days too. And she was like, oh my gosh, they're like, they closed the markets. Oh my gosh, they like, they shut down the city. They locked down the city. And I was sort of like, wow, that's a crazy thing that's happening in this place I've never been to. You know, I it does seem nuts, but I also really didn't think it would affect my life you know right. honestly of course you, you basically that much but it wound up yeah what wound up really doing that so it's just interesting we'll, we'll go through all that i have some dates of like when things started getting canceled and like a couple of things earlier than i realized got canceled pre-indian wells so yeah what are your first memories of 2020 let's just start from the beginning sure i mean one of my first like very vivid memories and it was funny because um, I was reliving this or not reliving. I was reliving it, but I was also introducing it to people the other the other day of um, the I think I believe it was Naomi Osaka's first press conference of the year in Brisbane. And she was just giving you a heck of a whole lot of flack. And you guys were having the bants back and forth. She was looking at your shoes. Remember in this house, we stand Nike, Ben. Uh-huh. She asked you for your Instagram handle or Twitter handle or something. Yeah. You said the word drip and she could not handle it. Um, it was great. <laughs> and again, it was like I was rewatching re it the other night um, on my Twitch stream with people. And there were a lot of people who were just like, I had no idea this happened. Like, why wasn't this more of a thing? And it's like, well, it was in Australia. It's middle of the night. And I don't know. People aren't hungry for it. But yeah, there are so many. There were so many great. It, it led me into like a whole YouTube hole of like kind of reliving the press conferences from Brisbane and, and the Australian Open. But that one, that one's the, the press situation in Brisbane is always really, really great. And it's always memorable to me. And this was my fourth or fifth year in Brisbane for time in Brisbane, almost always non-consecutive. I feel like I go there in like even years, weirdly. I was there. I think that's right. 2014, 20, whatever. Been there a lot of times. And yeah, like there's always like people are like, you know, first day of camp energy. Everyone's happy to see each other. Everyone's like rested and refreshed, especially players are like not sick of doing media. They actually like have some new things they want to share. They have optimism. This is going to be their year all the time. <laughs> Sidebar, Sam Query once said in Australia, it was like he just won a first round match, the Australian Open or whatever. And he wasn't, we didn't see any warm tournament. And he was doing like sort of a small room, just American beat reporters kind of thing. And they were like, how's your off season? He was like, well, I'm not going to sit here and say that I like, worked harder than ever and dedicated myself. And that's what everyone says. But it was fine. It was a normal offseason. <laughs> I just really appreciated that like that. level of honesty. I respect um, that. People really do get like really like caught up in their offseasons and the possibilities and everything there, and which would look especially dark in 2020 in retrospect. But yeah, like that sort of energy there. Yeah, you're right. The Naomi conversations. And I, you know. I'm not going to like tweet out my own like cute videos of players. That's not really my style, but like, was like, yeah, I remember, I remember using the word drip very care carefully. And you did. Mortified. And actually after <laughs> this is sort of behind the scenes, but like after she was like, we were, I was going to talk to her coach when Pissette in the corridor, little couch area in Brisbane. And she was like sitting there and she was like, who so was, I gave her my Instagram handle. And she was looking at it and she was like, this is fine. <laughs> it's like, you're, I know like it was like, cause there's not really my Instagram people who care. It's just, Ben Rothenberg. It's like not very personal. No, it, it's just it's pictures just, of like trees. Yeah. yeah. I like trees. It's yes. my insta aesthetics. So she was like, I think she was looking for more like, I know, selfies and fashion facts, whatever her speed is. And so she didn't really get that from me per se, but uh, she was, she was kind and <laughs> not too like, this is ridiculous. So from a, from a, you know, big influencer like her, yeah. that was, I'll take it. No, she was um, on fire. She was on fire and she was relaxed and, you know, coming in, new coach, whim, 
Like, there was a lot to be excited about for Naomi This is Osaka. one of my Naomi things I have written here. Remember when, at the beginning of the year, through, I guess, the quarters, Naomi Osaka was on a 14-match winning streak to start the year. Indeed. Indeed like, she she'd was. Like, won, she'd won Beijing. She'd won Osaka. She was doing well in Brisbane. I want to say she picked up a couple wins some other place. But anyway, she was, like, really racking up wins and looking very sharp and looked really good in, I think, had two match points, I want to say, in her semifinal loss yep. in Brisbane to... Pliskova. Pliskova, and this is more encore type stuff we're talking about now, but like Osaka looked great. I had every reason to think she could contend and win the Australian Open. So then we'll we'll get to this later and we'll talk about the day. But like when she doesn't, it was like, whoa, yeah. that she went out like that in Melbourne was was pretty shocking. And before I know, and this isn't, we're not, we're going to talk about this later, but just to give context to kind of the crazy arc of the Osaka season, just to, again, because I think people forget how well she did start the season. She looked yeah. really good. She was firing like, I think she set her ace personal ace record against Kennan um, at mm-hmm. the at, at uh, in Brisbane. I mean, she was just racking up double digit aces. It was nuts. Um, and one of my remember wins was remember when Naomi Osaka got bageled by Sarah Cerebus Tormo and then never lost a match for the rest of the year. That did happen. This girl yes. so that's, is that's in February. The highs and the lows, you know that that she can that she can kind of go through, and obviously a lot happened in between there to kind of lead to the second part, but. It was it was crazy. It was it was a it was such an isolated blip. What would eventually happen to Osaka in January, February? It's just easy to forget now that the way that you know she's on the cover of Vogue and whatever, yeah. and winning SI sport, you know, part of the SI Sports Person of the Year. That um, she had a really rough like three weeks there. <laughs> so you know how like Player of the Year and Sophia Kennan won Player of the Year for WTA, and I voted for Kennan. I fully believe that she deserved it. You know, just because that's an on court. Well, you talk about that award, but like in terms of being most captivating person of the year, the two people in this episode who could deserve their own episode of like, remember when Colin, this person are Naomi Osaka and Novak Djokovic. Like they both had their own, like in terms of like being people of the year in the sort of more time magazine sense, like who defined the year. It's those two. And yeah, there's just an interesting sort of phase of. And it's been very different years, obviously. But Naomi doing different things, getting, you know, highest paid for the first time that she got highest paid sportswoman ever, according to those metrics, you know, getting the SI thing, winning a slam. We'll get to Naomi later. But like, yeah, she had a, a very and even like in Australia, she had um, the documentary crew following her. She did. She did. That it was, was like exactly a big right. fact thing in her in her Melbourne. So I'm curious. It looks like the documentary crew's been with her again. I remember after she won the US Open, seeing them on her Haiti trip. It looked like they were there. So I'll be interested to see like what, when and what emerges from that. Because obviously their their best laid plans got pretty screwed up for what they wanted to do in terms of shooting schedule in, in 2020. And like, they, I don't think they were able to go to the U.S. Open. No, they were the not. I mean, there's so. there's no way. I mean, that that's the kind of issue. Go, I mean, yeah, I have no idea what the status of that whole project is. But yeah. they were supposed to follow her through the Tokyo Olympics. And obviously, theoretically, you would say, OK, let's push it back and follow her through the Tokyo Olympics this year. But whether you could get a camera crew into these events nowadays and film in restricted areas and all that and pass COVID protocols. I don't think so. So and even I, bank you know, on knowing the Olympics are going to happen. Like you just yeah. can't like make plans anywhere out the way you could. Well, you would think that you would then. just call the audible and just, especially the way that her 2020 season ended up being that it just becomes about the path to winning the U S open, the manner in which she won it. And then the aftermath, the kind of immediate aftermath. And that's, you don't need the Olympics. The Olympics yeah. are, a separate thing you know but anyways so in terms of other women's brisbane stuff and i'll get to the, the boys first week of the year in a bit but like i was thinking going back through because when i was looking at so my methodology for this episode i went through 
a lot of my tweets for the year of like the video and pic- the media column of tweets. And I went through Times articles, which there weren't very many of really, actually, that I didn't remember up from other things. And then went through the podcasts. And first week of the year, we did a podcast with the lovely Barbara Stritzova, which you'll remember. Yes. That was and that so was fun. just like, it was fun and lovely. And just like, again, that's like such like uh, the first hour of Titanic type scene. Like, you know, <laughs> just like everything is great. You're just like living the high life, chatting with Beezus. Everything's going well. Having a lovely time. Kikiing, as the kids say, with with, with B. And it just, yeah, this is one of those things. I looked at that and I was like, wow, that was like a simpler time. And we were just like excited to get to do a podcast with Shritsava. And she was great. Simpler and now, for everyone. I mean, she was also like, uh, you know, contemplating retirement and would the yeah. Australian Open be her last event? And I mean, there was, and yeah, it was just lighthearted and easy. And gosh, that's, that just feels, that's just not memory wise, but that feels a lifetime. Ago. I know. I know. That's what I was saying. That feeling of that moment was like really, it's like carefree sitting together. Yeah like chatting that like it's more less than the content it's the feeling of that yeah because you were you joined for like the last like three quarters of that episode i think so like yep. yeah that's just one of the things i was like wow that's like that feels like a lifetime ago that interview yep. just emotionally like a lifetime ago last things on brisbane tennis was really good wta brisbane yeah like those semifinals were both great it's actually like that tournament i think pairs really well with the u.s open it's almost like yeah those things line up really well but osaka was great osaka has a great semifinal loses to pliskova there's another great semifinal. Keys Kvitova is the other one. And then Pliskova beats Keys in a great final. And I'm going to get to ATP Cup in a second. But like it was really cool also seeing how well the crowds turned out for the last four days of that tournament when it's women only. And we didn't know. Because Brisbane had a great product that it had for years. Brisbane International was a combined ATP WTA event since I think 2010. And, and they completely... Up, or TA completely upset that whole apple cart and invented this new thing where the women were not on the main stadium for the first, what, three days of that tournament, four days of that tournament? Thursday, I think, was the first Yeah, day. Thursday was the first day. I'm trying to what day they started. It was good to see. And that was sort of like ATP Cup. It's, especially, I don't know if ATP Cup's what's going to happen to it in 2021, if it's going to... We don't know. We have no certainty on any... I don't want to talk look forward too much. That's a whole different podcast uncertainty. We don't know if Australia is happening or not yet still. that Like, things are still fragile and precarious in the world and especially with australia with how well they're doing like just the littlest kind of hiccup for them by our standards in terms of little hiccup could be seen as like something to really shut down for so all that's to say wt event was really good like spending getting to know early let's talk about like arcs that finished the u.s open the jen brady arc yeah, was absolutely planted during brisbane this was later on remember remember talking to her about her reagansburg stuff jen brady and the other one i want to more this is more remember when Danielle Collins had a fascinating Brisbane. She had a fascinating she, Brisbane and Adelaide. Yeah. She was on a tear. She was destroying ladies. It was absurd. <laughs> she like, was go, killing like, everyone. She beat like Svitolina, what, like one and one in the first yeah. round, one and two, something like that. She beat Putin Seva like one and one or one and oh. And these are like, those are not players who get destroyed. Those are like players who like really make you beat them. And she was absolutely hitting them off the court. And then she goes, picks up way more wins in Adelaide. And then she takes a, a kind of, surprising L given that form to Putin save a second round of Melbourne, which I think was pretty deflating for her or for her year. Cause like she was on fire and she was in a weird mood in press also we'll point out, but she was uh, on fire on court and it was an interesting sort of, she had an interesting 2020 as well with uh, yeah, but, world team know, tennis stuff and French open stuff. And yeah. Seeds were planted though. The seeds for what you would see on court were planted early, early. In we the always season. kind of say that with Brisbane. Like I remember when, remember when Kasakina took like a really weird loss to somebody in Brisbane two years ago. I guess it was, or almost lost. It was, it was to an Aussie. Um, uh, yeah, Burl. 
Kim Burrell. Yeah, Kim Burrell. Yeah. And it was like, oh, that's weird. And then Katsukina had a really disappointing year. Yeah. Right? Like, I do think you can actually kind of, Brisbane actually is not usually a bad indicator for the year. I think how you start can kind of be how you continue in tennis and, and more than you might think. Yeah. I mean, not just Brisbane, though. I mean, Auckland also just start of the season. This is these players at the very beginning, at the very peak. And, you know, they're healthy. They're excited. The slate is clean. And, you know, the momentum can really take off from there, either in a positive or a negative way, depending on the player, you know. So I think usually when you look at the start of the season, it is pretty it is pretty indicative. Like, before, I mean, not just that, but like all the way through until you get to Indian Wells. I think once you get to Indian Wells, then the results start to become a little bit more like, well, you know, not just at Indian Wells, but also Acapulco, Charleston, like they become a little bit more. Oh, OK. You know, and w- will that player you know, continue that sort of run. But the start of the season, you know, uh, Brisbane and Auckland have been incredible bellwethers for what is yeah. to come in the season the last few years for, on Andrescu. the WTA side. Yeah, yeah Andrescu. Andrescu, Auckland for sure. Yeah. So, I mean, the big, well, let's finish the WTA part of that week. The big, and I'm not going to be this granular for every week. Like we said, things are more vivid in January and then things will get very blurry for me at least from then on. But uh, Serena won Auckland. We were not there. We were in Brisbane, both of us. But Correct. like, that was a big story. That was the biggest story in tennis for the first half of that month was Serena winning her first title as a mom. And it was cool to see how gratifying that was for her. It was cool to have this moment of like getting the long awaited trophy photo with Olympia and and her and the first title, you know, since for in years it had been several years since her last title was twenty seventeen since Australia Australian since Open. Us, yeah exactly, and so it was just nice to see, and it was also interesting to see like how, like the obviously a Grand Slam I think would have been different for sure, but like how the media non tennis media like your CNNs or whatever else might be covering this event or BBC didn't really care that it was quote unquote just Auckland and it was like not very many top 30 players there. It was a big deal. There's no difference between winning that title, like Auckland and winning, let's say like a Cincinnati, which would be a much tougher event. But like title is title, trophy is trophy, trophy photo, trophy photo, symbolism, symbolism. Well, because doing a thing that you have not done. Right. Is an accomplishment. Right. I mean, that's just the bottom line. So she hadn't won one yet. She did. She played well. In Auckland, um, you know, she played doubles with Waz, which was pretty fun throughout the week as well. And yeah, and it was great to also just see her back in Auckland after, you know, uh, the way that her previous appearance in Auckland had ended. <laughs> Remember that one? Oh, my gosh. Remember wind. Remember wind. Yeah. So th- I think that that was just kind of a very nice kind of full circle coda moment. And yeah, and she beat some good opposition along the way, too. It wasn't completely like no. uh, a weak field in terms of the draw that she had. Um, so, yeah, no, it was good. It was, it was yeah. great. Definitely good. And she had like a bit of a shaky start in that final, if I remember correctly, against Pagula. Yeah, Pagula and was came back early. from it. Yep. And so that was a nice sort of, it was, again, not like the hardest thing she's ever done tech by any sort of on paper measurement, but it was nice to see her cross the, cross the threshold. And it was the big story of that week for news. And it was like, for different various reasons, it was the only like story the New York Times ran, running on tennis that week was on Serena winning Auckland. Um, even though there was a lot of other big stuff happening in tennis that week, like such as the ATP Cup, which I just remember thinking so clearly as I was watching this like big production ATP Cup thing as Courtney takes a sip of her, let's assume tea, so clearly that it was like, this big thing and that no one asked for this. That was my main impression. I was like, this is a whole lot of lot and yet, like, what is it fixing? Like, what was this addressing that was missing? And it had come so soon after New Davis Cup, which is, again, remember when late 20, 
19, but still really, it was only, I think, five, six weeks before this very, this completely diff- similar newfangled international team-based, country-based event happened in one site location. This was a little bit different. This was in three cities, Perth, Sydney, and Brisbane around Australia, ATP Cup. Parts of it were, were similar and parts of it were different, but it's just like, it was, and it was just like, and the <laughs> amount of like, because they scheduled it in such a way, they were like matches that would get spotlights. Like I think on the first day, I, I had to look this up. I didn't remember these names, but there was a match between Belgium and Moldova. That was it from it was playing in Sydney, which had the first earliest start of the, of the three events between Steve Darcy and Kozbinov. and it was like went three sets. It was I don't really know long, right? And they were like neither of them were like top. I forget Darcy's ranking it, but like he was not like a top eight hundred player. I want to say or like definitely not close to top whatever. And it was like, but it had the same level of like ATP Cup production value to it, and like the graphics and everything. I was like, what are we watching here? This is this is weird. It was kind of fascinating its own like tuning into a challenger way. But like, where's Mike Cation? Like, this is like Jim Courier is calling this. And maybe he wasn't. But like, it was that sort of level of like this doesn't all quite line up, and it's weird. And um, but if I, I recall, if I recall, yeah, it worked. Well, mostly because like there were some things that really worked about ATP Cup, like. Being in Brisbane, and actually, the Brisbane was an easy decision to make for me. I've been there before, but sure, I've of course, gone the back and forth because <laughs> Brisbane obviously had the women, like a lot of top ten women, but although not Serena, which is a real consideration when I'm choosing which, and not about to retire Wozniacki, which is another consideration I had in that week um, of where it might make sense to go. So I did consider going to Auckland for sure. Yep, that, yep. and I think Coco Golf was also in Auckland. That yep. was like she was a big pull uh, this year, but I remember that the teams in in Brisbane got like by far the best slate of men's mm-hmm. teams and they needed it the least too which is kind of because they had the women too so they didn't need the big men's pull so it meant the like the sydney and especially perth perth lineup was pretty anemic it was like nadal and nobody else in perth um so but in sydney sorry in brisbane they had serbia which was Djokovic, they had greece which was Tsitsipas, and his and there was Tsitsipas. um they had germany which was zverev they had uh, France, which is like charismatic, even if they didn't have like the main sort of French. If not France isn't what it was, they had Australia, which was Kyrgios and Demon. Um, they had uh, who else? A couple other names. Anyway, they had like a lot of the big name guys, right? And it was really cool seeing, especially what worked was the first Serbia match was Serbia against South Africa, I think, and Kevin Anderson playing against, and Kevin Anderson playing really well, which did not hold up the rest of the year, per se. It wasn't really relevant, too relevant to a player results-wise. Playing really well against Djokovic the first match of the year, and, like, the number of Serbian fans were there, and it was great, and it reminded me what works in Hotman Cup, too, but this is in a bigger city in a different market. Like, when you can advertise a match in advance and be like, hey, buy tickets on January 3rd or whatever because Novak Djokovic will be playing in Pat Rafter Arena in the night session, yeah. Like that is so, so, so huge yep. and tennis lacks that so frequently. And so that's one of the really redeeming qualities of ATP cup and of Hotman cup previously um, that tennis just does not, does not have to act together on. And it's a structural problem and it would take a real reinvention in a lot of ways to fix that. Um, unless you're like famously, I remember the story of Danish TV when during WTA Copenhagen, I'm sure I've told you this at some point, someone from Denmark told me like the way they did the programming on like, if you click your TV guide, like information about a program, it was like, you went to like the Wednesday, like it was like Thursday, Caroline Wozniacki plays her second round match at the Copenhagen Open, like squirrel head four hours, Caroline Wozniacki plays her quarterfinal. Tremendous. <laughs> it's like, Tremendous, expect so. her to make every round and just like, and she did, but Which you know, it's, still, it's totally presumptive. Yeah, yeah. But there was also like, it was also a lot 
of HBO was was so amped up. There was the commentators for for their world feed, who were the ones we were getting, I think, in Australia, were selling it so hard, and the players were sort of buying it, but also not totally. But like there was a lot of confusion about how to feel about it. But the, there was so many emotions in the Alize Cornet sense of like just like too many emotions to deal with. <laughs> there was Sitsipas hitting his dad with his racket oh in Brisbane. That was a thing that happened. That Medvedev was. smacking the chair empire's chair, trying to chop it down. Remember in uh, that was in Perth. I believe like he got angry and started whacking the chair and it was a thing. 100% um, Z- do not remember that, but okay. Zverev like hitting like 40 double faults a match and having like nervous breakdowns on court. It was just a lot of emotions for so early in the year. And I remember thinking like, do you want like the nice thing about the old way the ATP started and Brisbane was a, its own kind of beast because Brisbane was a loaded. I realize I'm talking too much, but Brisbane was always like a loaded, like a lot of top tenors kind of field. You might have like a Sloan versus Conta first round kind of that kind of thing. But the men had generally eased in and like, does like Zverev want to start his year with three losses or whatever it was like in the first week? That's like, eh, I don't know. I'm not sure yeah. he lost all three. I think he did. Yeah, I think he lost all three matches that week. And obviously his year results wise was okay or pretty good. Um, but yeah, it was, just, it was just a lot. And then and then Serbia wins. Djokovic wins. Djokovic starts this year undefeated. would go undefeated for a very long time. Um, and so parts of it were good, but also it just was like just extra. In this way that's like, I don't know, I don't find tennis usually being structurally that extra in terms of like giving us so much in a place where we weren't ready for it. It just it just kind of unbalanced things and it left a big impression. And again, I'm not going to go with Steve on every week of the year, but ATP Cup is something that I think is like, that left left a mark. And I still, because it, because it was such a one-off as far as we know, when we don't know if it's coming back or whatever, it probably will at some point. Yeah, it just doesn't really compete with me. Compete. I don't know. I mean... With distance from those two weeks, because while I was in it, I definitely felt a certain way about it, um, mainly because it had collateral impact and collateral damage on yeah. on a lot of things and that were very, very frustrating. But um, I don't know. I mean, with distance, it worked. It worked. And, it, and you can't even say, oh, these players like didn't. Like they maxed out during um, during ATP Cup and they didn't perform in Melbourne. They did. Yeah, with the one exception of Demonar, who got hurt and yes. didn't, couldn't play the AO. But yes, yeah, but, you're right. Everyone else. But everyone else like performed. They showed up, and you know. And again, the, right. the, the funny thing about ATP Cup, though, that is is, I have to go back and f- I I would have to kind of tease it out and think about it a little bit more. I don't have a conclusion on this, but it's just a thought. Is like it works for that market. Like this is, and and obviously that makes sense as to why TA would do this. I mean, this is you're putting the you know your major cities, um, your three major cities simultaneous events. You're able to pre-advertise all of those matches. Um, you can you dominate the airwaves. That was one of the big things that was incredibly frustrating from from a Brisbane international perspective, because yeah. they're just you you remember the media room, what matches were on the screens for the press yeah. to even watch. It was. And it was like, and, this is what I was saying about like Darcy Kosmanoff, but like the lowest wattage men's match was still, ooh, ATP Cup. And so you would get like a match that was on an outer court between like, like Sharapova Brady or other like big top, you know, top, like Osaka, Naomi Osaka opened her, her year on an outer court in Brisbane while some men's match played inside. Um, and this is the one time story that I did write, didn't get filed for whatever reason, or didn't get published for whatever reason, just struck, you know. Right, about the... The, about yeah. um about about the overlap and yeah that was frustrating and that was just it was just like it again seemed like such a big radical change this week which i'd always really liked 
and had never had any problems with. I liked the sort of quirky La Hotman no, Cup being course. a thing. I yeah. liked WTA Brisbane being like a really marquee women's event. The men's 250 in Brisbane was never bad, by the way. They always got like a decent number of, of top 10 players. And legit champions. Federer, yeah. But Kyrgios won it. Federer won it a few times. Or there one time in Leighton Hewitt, one of his one of his last titles maybe. there. Yeah, Grigor won it. I mean, like there were like some good some good champs there. Uh, so yeah. yeah. Anyway, but I mean, but it's yeah. I mean, but you're right. Objectively, objectively, it, it is a uh, I, it I, was a success. Like you'd make a great sizzle reel out of it. Like it did look right, and the players bought in. I do think that like it was. Int- I remember in the final, I, I believe this is correct, and I want to say Nadal didn't play the doubles of the final yes correct which was spain versus serbia and that was kind of like okay if you like really wanted to win this you would go out and play the doubles but like he didn't care about winning the title itself that much i remember thinking that as we were watching that final djokovic had a great great djokovic kind of owned that tournament and the serbs were really filling the arena both in brisbane and especially in sydney it was like a huge party atmosphere when they won <laughs> the serb fans were like rankling a lot of other fan bases like i remember <laughs> Denis shapovalov being real salty about serbian fans um, oh my. afterwards um, hey, that's fun. I mean, that's the yeah, thing. So it's like that's that was, I, I liked all that. I liked all that. As a product, it worked. It's just yeah. I, I really do think that. Now, was it a product that was that much different than what you could potentially get if you did the proper investment in Hopman Cup? I don't know. Maybe. No. I mean, and obviously, I don't know. Uh, hopefully, the guys are getting compensated well for and points wise. I know there's com- confusion about points. I don't know. Anyways, ATP Cup. It's it's what, what? a thing, and I think that marketing wise, it worked. I think Australia really liked it. Whether the players will continue to play it year over year, I think, is a legitimate question. Although, if that's the only option that they have, because there are no other, you know, significant ATP events, obviously at the time, which is how you would want to do it if you're Tennis Australia, not have competition. Then, yeah. I mean, that's the only place that and they if- can play. But but I just get the feeling that over time, there is something to be said about what you're saying, I think, about, like, you know, not wanting to start your season at, with the dial at 11. Yeah. That you want to kind of play a few kind of mindless matches to get into the swing of things before you take things super seriously. And yet here you are being thrown into the fire and, you know, right. uh, being re- questioned about your media, about your loyalty to your team. Uh, yeah, it becomes about country and all that. And I don't know. Yeah, I mean, I just remember thinking, and also well, this year they had the points and the money for, which is the same thing as 2019 Davis Cup. Like they had the money to get all those players there. Do they still have that money? Less clear. Um, but so, if there's no, but if there's no competition, right? No, if, if there's nothing else to do that week, yeah, I mean, you would do it. I mean, like Rublev, because he was not ranked high enough to be on the Russian team, I think, or play singles for the Russian team, went and won Doha that week, and he obviously had a good year as it worked out, but. Um, yeah, it, I, I think it'll last so long as there's energy for it, but it was a, just a big production and just like a lot of, a lot of work. It was like, it was like a big sort of like McMansion kind of thing that was built on a pretty small urban lot. And it just felt, it felt like it didn't quite fit, but it was still objectively impressive. Anyway, that's a lot of thoughts about something that happened 11 months ago and we'll see if it comes back. I, I genuinely don't know. The other thing that was sort of trickling up already starting in that week is specifically an issue in Sydney. Uh, was not an issue in Brisbane, was the wildfire smoke um, and the haze that was coming in over Sydney. And I remember having changing my plans. I was originally planning on renting a car and driving from... Not just Sydney, but Melbourne as well. There, it was right. quite significant. Yeah, yeah, Mel- Melbourne, well. yeah Melbourne was already having yeah. issues too before the, before the tennis yeah. players got there. I was going to drive a car and drive from Brisbane to uh, Melbourne, which is sort of down the east coast of the country, and instead wound up shadowing you and flying to Adelaide for the second, right. <laughs> second pre- premiere event 
of the year where Forgot I was about that. in your uh, hotel room and we reacted to JLo getting stunned by the Oscars. Oh, so mad. Um, memorable, memorable Adelaide so times. Mad. And had a lovely dinner in the hotel lobby with uh, NCR fan yes, and listener Ryan. Rowan. Rowan yes. Um, so, yeah, so that was all. It was a weird time because I, I got, I got applied for credentials that tournament. I then went to two press conferences and like zero matches because I was like I didn't need to be there. I wasn't covering anything there. I just and needed a literally, place to be. we were across the bridge. Like I know, <laughs> I was so close distance. and just like and didn't. But there was no matches that day that I like needed yeah. to be at, and I wasn't gonna string them along. Also, no, the press room was like pretty small. Yeah, um, no. It, to be fair, it was it was it was it. Yeah, you didn't need to be, and because you were so close, if something happened, you could always just run over and you'd be over in sight on site in five minutes. But yeah, that, those I, few days were fun. I do remember, as we get to remember when submission on our WhatsApp from Reem, mid, mid, mid-sentence, yeah. watching on TV one of the worst performances I've ever seen from a player, yeah. due respect to her, Sloane Stevens, losing uh, two and two, I believe, to Arena Rodionova in Adelaide, and just it being one of the worst matches I've ever seen from a top player. And Rodionova was was perfectly good. She was played a very solid match. But like Sloane's listlessness in that match and was just like... It was shocking. It was really just like, what are we watching here? And usually we see great tennis in Jan. And she has, and she's somebody I think actually who tennis strategy wise was really kind of helped by the stoppage happening when it did. Cause she like in Mexico was doing really poorly in the event she played there. Like she was off to a bad start in 2020. And, uh, and, and that was something I remember was that Rodinova Stevens match was just like, Ugh, yikes. And then I remember driving on, renting a car and driving on the left side of the road from Adelaide to uh, Melbourne. Which was something listening to big picture podcasts along the oh, way. Oh, Sean and, and Amanda just having a having a lovely time, having a time. Yeah, no, it was it was um, it was great that Adelaide got that event, and um, they did a great job with it. I thought um, just kind of mm-hmm. I was only there for about seventy two hours before flying to Melbourne. But yeah, but but Adelaide is definitely when it start it started to kind of sink in a little bit more, kind of what what the country was going through um, with the bushfires, and um, and yeah. Adelaide was also during Australian Open qualies where they had the, the day where yes. Delilah Yakupovich, I believe it was, who had, you know, had sort of a coughing fit at, while winning her match. She was very close to winning that match, if I remember correctly. I think she yeah. was up like a set and maybe like on serve in the second, but like doing well in the match and then, had you know, sort of collapsed and had to abandon the match. And there was like visible smoke and other players having issues as well, like washing out their eyes and stuff. And TA had to like, <laughs> or the other thing I have here is like, I had a photo, one of the things of like, of the uh the air quality meters that popped up in the press room in melbourne like they were on the screens yeah, you know the, the dials screens. of like yep. this new metric and all of us trying to learn these various pollution indexes and like kind of like audit the ta one which always seemed like dubiously low yeah uh compared to some of the other measures that were out there and they ta got lucky that um that the smoke was never as bad as it was that that day of qualities like the wind shifted the fires died down a little bit most of the wind shifted and like they never got hit with another day but like there was the rain though the the, the yeah. rain helped the, there was that one time the overnight rain remember when we woke up and you walked outside and like there was just dirt like almost oh, it was like a mud like red clay yeah. and that night i very much remember like walking home to the hotel and it started raining and when i got into i no, you weren't with me, I guess. But like when I got to my room and like I put t- pulled off my backpack, it like my shirt and everything, it, everything had like this red tinge and it was weird. It was like, oh, my gosh, like what exactly is in the air? And then 
you know, it rained overnight. And then when we woke up the next day, like, yeah, like if you walked out into the street and you just looked down on the ground, you saw just the residue. And that's when it kind of like, because I lucked out, I never really had a day where like I walked out and was like, whoa, because I, I'm from California. I know what it's like to have yeah. bad air quality due to fires. Um, and I never experienced it. But then that day when when you saw the residue on the ground, it was like, OK, this is really, really bad. Like, yeah, this is dangerous to be out there. Yeah. You know, I think I said this before, but just to finish the thought, I, the reason I did not drive from Brisbane to Melbourne because everything was on fire in between. Like I would have been driving through like high fire areas on that on that trajectory on that path. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. It was. I remember thinking that the day of the mud on the ground, the like, very red like dust and mud that was on the sidewalks all over downtown Melbourne or Melbourne CBD, as I say, was like thinking, <laughs> joking that like, you know, like all the elements like earth, wind and fire. And this was the earth. This was like dirt coming into the play of like being yeah. a factor. And that just being really weird. And I remember obviously the attention that the fires were getting. And obviously there are lots of like tragic stuff happened the fires. Lots of people lost their homes in, in Australia. Lots of cities and small towns were damaged, especially. Yep. Um, and people having breathing issues. And I remember this like, and this is the part that like I was trying to wrestle with as I was thinking about it. This sort of like, and I very well may have participated in this in my own way and been complicit, for which I feel gross right in retrospect, but like this sort of competition that developed between like, or, or like scrutiny or whatever you want to call it, or pageant, whatever word you want to use for it, of like how players were donating or reacting to the fires mm. from a tennis perspective. Just, I remember think, looking back, that just feels gross. Yes. Being like, oh, this person's giving this percent. This person's giving this much. This person, like, Serena gave all her Auckland money. Ash Barty gave her Brisbane money, but she lost first round. But she won doubles. Did she give me doubles money? I think so. We're not sure, but we think so. Like, these different sorts of things, like the Zverev thing. I'd forgotten this until someone mentioned it recently. Yeah. Remember Zverev? He mm -hmm. he pledged that he was going to give all of his prize money only, but only if he won the whole tournament and got, like, a lot of attention for that. It was just, like, this sort of, like, just, like, keep this, like, scoreboard that sort of, like, developed... In and that it, way. it sounds terrible because obviously it was all in the midst of, you know, devastating bushfires in Australia. Yeah. But but again, it was in a more innocent time. Yeah, completely. Like the things that we were judging each other for. I mean, this is this is we went from in January judging people for not doing enough good who were doing good. But maybe we wanted them to do more to like literally like a month or two later like judging everyone for not doing a single shred of good. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like like that's that's, really that's how quickly this ship just like capsized. <laughs> it was brutal. Yeah. I, a hair, yeah, I a just, hairpin turn. <laughs> no, exactly. You're right. It's like who can go above and beyond was the sort of January conversation. And, and now it became, it's like, like who can do the bare minimum? Yeah. Like who can do who like who didn't stop paying their coach immediately upon right. Indian Wells, which answer I don't know names and people who like kept in their coach pretty much almost all of them stopped. So on completely different notes, Australia starts the one sort of thing, WTH thing I wanted to flag was the sort of growing, you were leading this charge, I'm sure, but like it was everywhere. Cause it was just result based the growing, like Elena Rabakina awareness and like hipster pickness of <laughs> Rabakina was, and I actually remember she played Barty on the day that became the crazy day. And in the first match of the yes, day on yes. labor. And I remember thinking, like, that's the one I need to be there for. Like, that's the one that's, like, the upset scare is is Rabakina. Who's, like, people, like, we're, some people are sleeping on her. Like, we know how great she is. And she lost that match. Like, played fine that match, but mm -hmm. lost that match. And she, like, is, I think I saw you saying on Twitch before we came on here, because you're very multimedia these days. <laughs> Queen of all media, according to Wynn. Um, but saying that, like, Rabakina is the player you kind of feel, like, results-wise, like, worst for 
in terms he was explaining that what what, yeah. you, what how she started and then what yeah just how she got derailed i guess yeah kind of how it started and how it's going <laughs> how it's going um i mean it was insane i mean elena ravakina you know she was already on the rise in 2019 she won her first title in in budapest i think or bucharest one of the two I think bucharest bucharest yeah and um you know and, and ranking had had gone up and then january comes and she makes the final in Shen Jen, mm-hmm. and then she yeah. ma- wins the title in Hobart, and then she comes into the Australian Open, makes a third round, which isn't nothing to 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 shake at, um, and was playing well. And she just, when you watched her play, you're like, oh my gosh, like this kid's a right-handed Kavitova. This is like, it's so fluid and seems so effortless, and she seems to be getting better. And just the momentum kept on going. She goes and she makes what the she didn't make the final in Saint Petersburg, did she? I think she did. I think she did. Yeah. And then she goes and makes the final in Dubai. <laughs> yeah. Like that is a run, folks. Like, she was racking up so many like if I think in the race rankings, I'm guessing she was probably like top five at that point. Yeah, it, it, she definitely was. And and she, you know, and that match in Dubai in the final against Simona was kind of the WTA match of the year in a lot of ways. Tour level. It was an absurd match. And, and she just, you know, she only had a, a Hobart title to show for it once all that was said and done. But her results were just incredible in the way that she played. And so when the shutdown came, I was like, okay, like, like you said, like I was, I was on the Rabakina train early. I'd written the big profile in, uh, during the Australian open ahead of her match against Barty because it was an upset alert. And I wanted the, like, which is, I pretend to do. Usually if you Mm -hmm. see that I've done a profile on a player, like a lower rank, they're about to do something. They might do something and people are going to need to know who they are. Um, and then in Doha, I talked to her coach, Stefan Vukov, did a whole piece on him. So I was so ready for it. And then the, the, the pandemic hit and it's not like she played badly when she came back, but she definitely didn't have the match results. She didn't have the, the she didn't get on a roll so much. And she had some very t- like small, tight losses, but she still made the final in Strasbourg. <laughs> hmm. and, she, and she lost to, uh, I think, uh, Svitolina. So she was still like right there. All she's the time. very much one to watch in 2021. Yeah, like, for sure. She's very much someone who has like who gets an incomplete kind of grade, but like was showing real promise in the first part of the semester and real potential. And yep. it's just it just sucks. It like obviously she had that real shot. I mean, it was obviously a tough shot playing the number one seed in her home slam and Ash Barty in the third round of the Open wasn't a match to be. It wasn't fair to expect her to win that match per se. But like she was building, and it just sort of like it got interrupted in this awkward moment for her, and it's, it's frustrating. So she'll she has the the game and everything to get it back. Yeah. I, th- I th- and they still think even obviously you wrote your piece about her. I still think she's largely an unknown to fans. Yeah. I don't think fans are super aware of her. She hasn't played very because you get awareness by by doing well at slams. Correct. And also doing well in certain countries. Like, you know, yeah. you, you, you know, again, we see this in Australia. You can win the Australian Open, and like America may not recognize that as a win. Yeah. Europe may not recognize that as a win, you know, and, you know, I was talking to a BBC reporter um, last week about Osaka and they were like they're doing they were doing a, a story and they're they're like, yeah, because the UK, we don't really know her. Yeah. And I was like, oh, yeah, because she don't win shit. And like she can't yeah. she hasn't done anything on grass. So from a British perspective, why is everyone talking about Naomi Osaka? You know what I mean? Like, so 
you know, and you can understand a similar thing in Paris or something like that. So, yeah. So with Rabakina and also because she didn't have at the end of the day, the trophy shot, yeah. you know, and, and a lot of her success was happening in time zones that that people were not following. So Middle East and off peak. Yeah. Yeah. Off peak in Australia. So but yeah, definitely, you know, buy that stock for 2021 for sure. So I mentioned that day. It'd been a really quiet week results wise in Melbourne, I think for the first four or five, forget if this was which day went first. I think this was day five or six. The first like four days have been actually really kind of boring results wise, like nothing had happened. And then all of a sudden stuff started happening kind of simultaneously on this next day of the third round. Um, the first thing, which we'd kind of seen possibly coming, but it was still a big event. Uh, Angebur beating Caroline Wozniacki, ending Wozniacki's career. After Wozniacki had had another sort of fun, remember when like profile sidebar candidate is Diana Yastrzemska, but Javier beats Wozniacki and Wozniacki gives like a, a great sort of immediately. I remember with Wozniacki so clearly how like the second her career is over, how quickly her like tone changed. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she made this yeah. joke in the on-court ceremony about like how she's been fighting and how it was fitting her career ended with a forehand error. And this is just like. I was it so, the, it was like, she would never have said that. Literally the only time ever that she's made a joke about her forehand. That or she's been like somebody to laugh about it. Being self-deprecating by her tennis is not her thing. One of the, one of the, like, I remember it so well, like one of the kind of not tense moments, but a little bit like of a tense moment with her was that one year where she beat Serena or came close to beating Serena in Miami. Yeah, she beat Serena in Miami. She beat Serena. And she was hitting the smack out of her forehand. Caroline was. And I remember asking her, I was like, Caroline, like you're hitting the forehand so well today. Like, is did you make any adjustments? Was it tactical? Da da da. And she literally just was and she was just like, I hit it like I always hit it. Like, what are you talking about? You always like it could not be a it could not be a shot that needed to be improved because to say that it improved would be to imply that it was not good. That it needed improvement. Yeah. And so I was like, dude. I'm looking. I have it framed on my my wall here. It's the first ever print article I wrote for the Times was an interview with Wozniacki at 2012 Hotman Cup. And I remember because I talked to her at press conferences in Cincinnati maybe once or twice in years past, being like so prepared because I knew that any time you alluded to her being a defensive player, she got like – she would like shut down. She like didn't buy that. She like thought that was an insult. And so I remember like really prepping this interview, like being like, don't say defensive, don't say defensive, don't say defensive, <laughs> like as I was going into this. And it worked. I think I did some, and she actually had played a great match that day. She lost. It was a post-loss interview at Hotman, which is not a normal tournament, obviously. But she played, it was number one versus number two. She played Kvitova, really, really good match. Look up the highlights if they're there. Well, it was Nick Kvitova, um, 2012 Hotman. And yeah, and so just like her, to see her like sort of like exhale and like unclench after her career ended on court like so quickly and i remember asking her about it in an interview i did which again unfortunately never ran there was some a bunch of stuff happened in australia also like the fires are going on pandemic was starting up kobe died during the australian open um so a couple of things didn't get published the way i wanted them to in that month but one of them i did an interview with wozniacki when she was like between various appearances it was so dressed up i was like i like look so schlubby oh, i remember this, like, that side yeah, room. Yeah. and she was so dressed up that day um, and I asked her about that and she was like, yeah, I wasn't, you know, I wasn't going to say that while I was like playing, but you know, now that I'm, you know, done, like, it's like, whatever people, you know, I can sort of show my hand, even if it was very, her forehand, even if it was <laughs> very obvious to the rest of us. Anyway, so Wozniacki, yeah, re- retired and had, had a sort of send off she wanted. And I think it was, it was, it was a sweet moment. It was a very sweet sure, moment. Her father out on courts and, yeah. you know, picking and brother, her up. Patrick, and brother, Patrick. Yeah, and Patrick. Yeah. Mom. And then it was. T- 
tough though because like story wise, I don't think we wrote about it that day because it got upstaged very quickly by Serena yep. losing a match that I don't think anybody thought she had a shot of losing, honestly, against Wong Chung, who she had beaten six one six zero at the U.S. Open four months earlier, and like Wong Chung didn't hit a single winner. It was like a beat down, beat down, beat down of a match, and for Serena to come out a little bit flat, and Wong Chung came out really well. And it was a tight, it was a close, it was a competitive match. Um, and Serena just didn't have, didn't have it. It was a weird, it was a weird but, shocking L and Serena wasn't happy. And that, it was just that, like, yeah. That day was a complete and utter blur. And it was um, because we're not even halfway through the things no. that happened that day. And, um, you know, I had done this thing not to circle back to your, what are people doing? But like I had done this thing during the Australian open where I was going to keep track of every cup of coffee that I drank and donate yeah. $10 to wildfire relief or bushfire relief um, at the end of it ended up drinking 57, which was actually kind of low for me, <laughs> but I had, I had posted the tally cause I still have the paper that I was tallying yeah. at my desk and somebody wrote back and was like, what the hell happened on day five? Cause it was like just a string of tick marks. And I was like, what did happen on day five? And I literally Googled, day five Australian Open 2020 and it was like boom like yeah like Waz loses and retires then Serena steps out on court loses to Wang Shang then it's Fed no no no, no. Fed was later then it's Osaka Goff Goff beats Osaka very quickly in a disaster of a match from Naomi and then it was Federer Millman as the nightcap uh on that on labor and when you're reporting like this reminds me of kind of like wacky Wimbledon Wednesday. It was, it was, that was the allegory. Yeah. Yeah. yeah because it was like, okay, like Waz and Ons play this dramatic three set match. Ons edges it out in the end. Huge story for Ons Jabor. Like massive win for her and a, and yeah. a, and a, a indicator for what her season would look like. And then meanwhile, you have one of the modern, you know, the aughts players uh, in Caroline Wozniacki retiring right then and there. So shouldn't you be writing about Caroline, right? Or should you be, you know, like whatever. And then as you're writing about Caroline and as you're going to Caroline's final press conference and as you're running to Ons Jabour's press conference, and meanwhile, there are other matches going on at the same time. It's only day five. You start looking at the, the, the scoreboard and you're like, what is going on on labor? Because... Serena is now down to Wang Shang, uh, or at least hasn't run away with it completely yet. And then you're like, shoot, well, then if Serena, because Serena just won Auckland. And so there was like this momentum building in terms of this could be 24. She's yeah. finally got that monkey off her back. She got the title. She's she had her the hands last on two a trophy. She had made the last two slam finals. This is it, you know? And then boom. And you're like, what the hell? So then you have to figure out, do I pivot from that and then go to, to, go to that? And then... As you're trying to do all that, then you have Goff and Osaka. Um, and that happens in a flash. You don't even have time to develop a narrative or anything. It was a very short match. Naomi, Coco served and played fantastic. Naomi was error prone and nervous yeah. and tight. And so even Fed Millman, I remember nothing of that, really, because I was busy still writing and reporting on the other three results. Well, and obviously I don't have to report yeah. on Fed, but like... It was just, yeah, day five of AO was nuts. I remember we, div we divvied it up. I did a print story on Serena, which basically I felt bad. It had like a, maybe one paragraph on Waz. Like it was like, it was tough, but like that was the bigger. And we knew Waz was retiring. Obviously, this wasn't news per se that she was retiring. Um, but, did it, but Serena losing like that to Wang Chung was shocking. And then we had a separate story 
Um, Osaka golf, we'd seen a sort of a, a circleable match before. That was the one that was like two big names, like For playing. Sure. We we already, I think, this is too much pre assigned it. Kurt, yeah. Kurt Streeter was already doing that story for us. That'd be fine. Um, and then I think I came back. I want to say, I believe it was me. I did a second story on Federer Millman like that night. I like stayed and did a Federer Millman story. That was like a match that went to like a fifth set tie break, one of those 10 point fifth set tie breaks. Very competitive. Match, po- match point saves. Yeah. yeah it, it was, uh, it was, yeah, it was a big day. And, and even like a couple other like sort of big results got buried that day, which is very Black Wednesday-ish at Wimbledon. Yeah. Like Ronich beat the year before semifinalist Sitsipas, like really easy. He like smoked Sitsipas and nobody noticed yeah. because all this other stuff happening that day. I'm sure Sitsipas did not mind. Yeah, which was, it was an interesting day. And it really was this like one standout day. It was otherwise kind of a flat tournament results wise. And it, it, that was the thing too. We were going from like, it really had been, before and a little bit after that too, like a bunch of seeds were dropping with one of those, you know, WTA tournaments were like, look how many seeds are losing each day out of the top 10 or whatever. Yeah. So that was, that was a big, big day. The next sort of thing that stands out to me in Australian Open was the um, Sangren-Federer match, another Federer match, which was a quarterfinal. Sangren making the quarterfinals for the second time in three years in Australia, which is, which is wild. Um, And a couple of things happened in that match that are memorable. Uh, The first one was as Sangren was in a tie break, like, after in the middle of his stretch of seven match points, some way like halfway through, there was a changeover and this ball girl ran super hard into his leg. Yes. Oh my gosh. Yeah. <laughs> I had forgotten that until recently. It's like almost like completely took him out. It was like, what is happening here? It was like Fed Minion. And the other thing, um, Federer got like an audible obscenity warning. This is a match where Federer got hurt in, I think. So he was like yep. not happy. He was like not playing well against Sangren, about to lose. Got an audible obscenity warning, like kind of was like, bullying the blind woman who reported him like or like kind of like kind of being sarcastic caustic or a little sarcastic bullying is maybe too strong a word but sort of like being confrontational in her in a way that was mm-hmm. not very federish and it was also the match where like the internet realized that mariana Valjevich is pretty it really was <laughs> weird how all of a sudden like i don't know that just, went from zero to like whoa and she's been around she's been around like she did not look any different that day than any other day like i not was especially. like i mean whatever i don't know but that was that was that was a fun that was a fun match. I did like, write a story once that again. Match. Innocent times, just I innocent times. <laughs> and then I have uh, Sophia Kennan, who kind of like came out of the rubble of that quarter that had Osaka and Serena in it, beating uh, Jabir and then beating Goff. Or sorry, no, beating Goff and then beating Jabir in that order. Mm-hmm. Makes semis and steps up and beats Ash Barty and really like rained on the parade because Barty mania was in very full swing in Australia. It was kind of a coronation moment. She had come back home with a number one ranking with the Shenzhen title, winning the record 4 million, whatever dollars in, in Shenzhen for that prize money. Having winning won the French Open, yeah. winning Adelaide, right? She'd lost first match in Brisbane to Brady, but like was but doing well. But did make well. the doubles final. Yeah, did make the doubles final. Um, Which is a great doubles Stritzeva. final. Shea. Yeah. It was a good match. Yeah. She was, was really playing with, with Burton's Kiki. in that match. Yeah, with Kiki. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, those are good to remember ones. All right. So um, and then she loses to Kennan. Kennan plays really well. But it was just like it was this sort of it was deflating for the tournament itself. Um, and then it was this interesting. I saw you talking about this on your Twitch <laughs> when I tuned in. The controversy uh, or the okay. whatever. Like, can you put the air quotes around controversy? Yes. Because Quote, unquote, I, can't, yes, sarcastic quotes, I cannot controversy. even deal with this thing being a thing around if do you want to talk about it we can skip it if you want no go but please it was a thing please. and just remembering when ash barty and i knew and it was one of those things like especially like you know being a media quote like semi-veteran of or at least of the bullshit cycle in media when the baby showed up i was like oh this is gonna be a thing isn't it <laughs> <laughs> 
that Ash carries in. And we, I think we did a really good job talking about this on NCR back then. I remember like being happy with our segment then. So if you want to go listen to like more, you know, fresher comments on it then. But you saying, because Ash Barty shows up with this baby. Um, her who's niece. Like, a, a niece. It wasn't niece, like a random baby. <laughs> it wasn't a random baby. But brings a baby to the podium. And it, it's just not common for players to obviously bring an infant to the dais. Uh, uh, but for you, it showed, you know, I remember you saying this, like how she was clearly hurting. Like how yep. this was clearly a tough loss for her. And if this was like the emotional support baby that she needed in this moment, why would we begrudge her that? Especially Ash and everything she's been through in her career and the yeah. ups and downs and mental health stuff that she's been open about. Like you can have your emotional support baby. <laughs> it's fine. Like I just did not. And I heard the murmurs as I was walking out of the room. Like the journalists in the room were already being like, why the hell was a baby there? Oh, it's there to deflect from us asking her tough questions. And I'm like, what the hell is that about? If you want to ask her a tough question, then just put your big boy pants on and just ask the big... I mean, the baby doesn't know what the question is. The baby's <laughs> not going to scold you. Like, just you just don't want to look like question. an a-hole in front of the baby. There's sure. a song. There's a Bare Naked Ladies song, uh, early Connecticut outro, called Bank Job, which is uh, imagining... Yeah, I know it well. Uh, where they go into a rob a bank and it's like filled with nuns and they chicken out and don't rob the bank because it's filled with nuns. Like, yeah. the nuns aren't going to like... Rob the bank. You want to rob the bank? Well, I mean, if you're um, the point is that if you are going to be so mad that you didn't ask your, you know, Ash Barty, can you please address the nation because you failed us once again? If that's the question you wanted to ask her, and like, but the only reason you couldn't ask her this a hole question anyway is because a baby was in the room. I don't understand how you reconcile those two things. Like, you're so badass to ask this question of Ash Barty. <laughs> But you can't do it when an infant is just gurgling. Like, what is wrong with you? Like, if you want to ask the question, ask it's like, just be that guy. Just ask it. Anyways, I was just so annoyed by all of that, by the discourse, by, oh, I don't know. Like, people thinking that somehow Ash was playing five-dimensional PR chess. No, she was sad. And she, this is a newborn niece. And it made her happy. And she wanted to spend time with her. And so she went. Like... Who cares? And, and to your point, what, or to your point that I just paraphrased you made back in January or whatever, or February, it really was revealing, if you're paying any attention, that yes. Ash was like clearly hurting, right? Yes. Even if her answers, because Ash is not usually a very revealing person in terms of like giving up emotion and press or like showing, you know, that sort of like, that sort of side of the, of the equation that reporters sometimes crave, understandably, because you want to sell a story, you want characters, whatever, emotion is a big part of the sport. You can tell by, like, the fact that she made this unusual gesture of bringing this kid with her to the to the microphone that, you know, she clearly was, you know, feeling different than usual. Right? Yeah, she wasn't least, shrugging could, it off. You know, I'm trying to make it in the most basic, like, things. Like, something had changed here. Yes. Suddenly she had lost <laughs> and she brought a baby. Yes. What does that mean? You can figure it out. You're an adult. Maybe. Maybe you're not. Because I, I hate to you. break it to you, but she's had tough losses before and there wasn't yeah. a baby there. There wasn't a puppy there. She didn't bring her boyfriend into the room. She didn't bring Tizer and like, you know what I mean? Like, this is not a trope that yeah. she has, you know, but on in that moment and, and given and again, given everything in the context of her career and her arc and her personal arc into and out of and back into the sport. It it's um, yeah, it was a it was a window to the soul in that moment. And it, it told you more than what anything Ash was going to actually say. And then Kenan backs up the win over Barty in the final against Muguruza, who had a very different sort of, or they both had interesting runs to the final. Muguruza had been like 
very um also interesting impressed i hadn't thought about this before but like it was interestingly like kind of was a bit like well very like stone face i guess i would say impressed kind of the whole two weeks or like not not super engaged she, we have seen her be very engaging in the past and she just wasn't like engaging on that level and it was actually, i think she got asked about it after the final actually and she said like i tried putting energy or like into media before and didn't felt like it was rewarding for me so i'm gonna not some my energy here basically was her take which fair enough uh, if, if that's how you want to do it fair enough it's just disappointing knowing how she had been someone who was engaging to have her not be was a bit disappointing um but again you do you uh yeah that game i'm sure it's the obvious thing in Fifth the final game, third set yeah from love 40 down Cannon hits five straight winners to pull ahead and puts it away and wins a slam and i remember just thinking like huh Cannon's a slam champ now it's one of those things that, like, I hadn't really... Obviously, like, you know, when she's in the final, you start thinking it's a possibility, for sure. But, like, before that, like, just not what I had imagined her trajectory being, especially so quickly. She'd been kind of on the rise. But she just, like, is always... And I think even winning Player of the Year, she does it in this very stealthy kind of way. She's, like, she has the hat down, you know, not, like, super flashy in anything she does, just, like, super solid. And coming out on top, it was an interesting sort of I think she's an interesting player of the year and slam champ and even this is before the chaotic part of the year really although there was still chaos with the fires and that little energy of the the Australian Open did not feel normal is what I'm trying to say right there sure. but um but this like sort of like laser focused type player is the one who like emerges in from the rubble of this year I think is is interesting and kind of fitting that like she's the one who put it wire to wire. I don't maybe and maybe that's overstating her year. I don't know if it's understating her. You're making a face, so explain. explain no, your face. I, no, it's not. It's not, not a face. I'm thinking about it. I'd never really positioned it that way or, or thought of it that way, and that that may be true. I just think that to me, what is kind of so I don't even know what the right word is swaggy or like kind of awesome about Sonia Kennan's career is that it's just scoreboard. There are no accoutrement. There is no hype train. There is no rabid fan base to get riled up and then everybody hates. Like, there's nothing distracting about Sonia Kennan, the tennis player. She just That's is I'm the tennis. Yeah. She is just it just is the tennis player. And at the end of the day, any doubts, any questions, any criticisms, any doubts, she just gets to say scoreboard. Simple as that. Like at the end of the day, you can say what you want. I want. I'm a, I'm a Grand Slam champion. Like last year, you can say what you want. I, you know, she won like what, like three or four, three or four titles, something last year. Like the kid just knows how to win. Why? Because for Sonia Kennan, making the quarterfinals was never enough, right? Like making the quarterfinals did not mean that that people were like, oh, what a quarterfinal run for this young kid. Oh, future Grand Slam champion. Oh, throw her endorsements her way. Like that's never. She's had to just win. And it's it's very it's a very similar mentality to, you know, a lot of the Eastern Europeans and the Russians who don't have access to sponsorships, who don't have access to, you know, media coverage, who kind of just eat what you kill. There's nothing extraneous about her career and everything that she has. She has because she has to earn it, including the attention, including everything else. And so, you know, it's it's I'm glad that she won player of the year. I think that there's definitely an argument to be made, and I would absolutely understand the votes uh, going to Osaka, you yeah. know, given just kind of, you know, what she was able to do, like, off the court as well and all of that. But I love that Sonia won because it's, again, it's about the tennis and it's about the wins and it's about what she did. And I think that's a great thing. I I, I, I like it. And she 
made no mistake. You know, you can't you can't take something from her when she's won. You know, yeah. you can belittle her maybe when, she, you know, she loses or whatever. But so, yeah, so incredible, incredible result. And again, everything that you need to know about Sonia Kennan is in that fifth game of the third set of the AO final of, of you know, three very bad, very tight, very emotional misses to go love 40 and then five straight winners yeah. and basically ran away with the set from there because Muguruza was just completely demoralized because she, she, she's felt because Muguruza didn't play a bad game. She like she really, no. really didn't. Um, and Sonia, she maybe played a little bit more passive than she should have. But um, given that, again, Sonia had just made three terrible enforced errors it, in a lot of ways. She she pankoed she pankoed Garby like Garby was the Simona in that match and she played the percentages and you can't begrudge her the decision. But Sonia came up with like ridiculousness. Yeah. And um, yeah. So and then with that. Yet another young, under 22-year-old major champion, um, which is now, yeah. Yeah. you know, it's no longer the, um, it's no longer the outlier. That's the norm now. Yeah. You know, the yeah, Halops definitely. winning slams and the Pliskovas winning slams or the Kvitovas or like, that, that would be like, oh my goodness, like, way to break the streak. But no, uh, exactly, but, you're yeah, you're right. It's, it's, it's a it's a t it's a total shift, and it's a big difference, obviously, from what happened on the ATP side, where we had Novak Djokovic winning, I believe, his eighth Australian Open. I think that's right. Just so many, and like he just feels so inevitable there. And one of the shocking things about his year, and obviously, like I said, he's his whole other protagonist for the year. Is it like that would be Djokovic's last slam? And he just felt so in control of everything. Last slam win, excuse me, of the year. And we didn't know that one of them was going to cancel. We had no idea that. We didn't know he was going to get defaulted from one. And we didn't know. And losing to Rafa in the French Open final, we could have said, like, okay, yeah, we see that happening. That's a reasonable result to happen. But the other stuff was was wild. And it was some, some things shifted on the men's side. Team beating Nadal in the quarters was a big hardcore success for team at a slam, as big as hardcore win at a slam or non-clay win at a slam. But yeah, but even, even that that final was five sets. I remember thinking it was like not very good um, and also not very dramatic. I just never doubted Djokovic. Djokovic just has this thing in Australia where like I just like believe in him and not literally, but like kind of bet on him or bank on him and just know like this guy's going to come through and it 99% of the time works out that way. So Djokovic wins um, and the year shifts on from from there and some this is i guess well one other thing i wanted to mention it's sort of remember one type of thing from ao remember um knack mcenroe and average with their banner about yes. Arena. <laughs> that was like kind of classic remember when ephemera like the ban the homemade banner they had for that and, and and the and mcenroe doing that being like a ta not or tournament like encore interviewer i was like that is it was it that's was, impressive it was gutsy it was, it gutsy was gutsy stuff. that was big do you did we do anything off court stupid that month? <laughs> Not stupid, oh. but just like did we have like off court memes? What are memes? M memories, sorry. Oh, memes. I was like are you should be memes. Okay. <laughs> you know Sveta Sveta pronounces it memes. Memes, yes. <laughs> I love it. Um, I know all the memes. <laughs> all right. Um other things yeah like in terms of us personally or like yeah, or no, like, like yeah like i mean did I, I mean i think we watched i think i oh movies we watched brisbane in brisbane we went to go see portrait of lady on fire portrait in brisbane. of lady on fire in briz that was a nice uh, night that was a nice night with K with korean food right wait korean mm. food and then we went or was that a different night and we and then we walked all the way down to to, to yes portrait. yes long walk great korean food i remember yeah, that great well. korean food yeah, that was yeah, good yeah. that was, that was good, good. 
Oh, Korean food. I like Brisbane. I have not had Korean food in a while. Since I know. I, you sent me those wonderful bibimbap I know. bowls. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Those yeah, are fantastic. Yeah. Those are good. Thank you very those much. Those are good. Um, anyways, yeah. No, I'm just trying to remember like off court if I did anything nonsense and I don't recall that I did. The nonsense we did was Avaki and dragging us to TGI Fridays. <laughs> yes. <laughs> that was the nonsense. Oh, and Pancake Parlor. That that's fine. I've TGI gone to Pancake. I went. I think. I think. I think. I think we went to Pancake Parlor like three times, if I recall. Yeah. But yes, the TGI Fridays was aggressive. It was an aggressive call. The boy loves his TGI Fridays, but that is the first time I've ever actually ordered something that I was like, I'm not eating that. It was I ordered really that quesadilla, bad. that chicken quesadilla, and there was like no cheese in it, and it was super super soggy. It was, it was awful. a culinary disaster. It was one of the worst dining experiences I've ever had. Was at TGI Fridays in that mall. Yeah. In but Melbourne. hey, memorable. Yeah, but memorable. Remember one. One things are awful. Also counts. And I remember like leaving. This is shifting ahead to the rest of the year. And we'll again, this is where things get blurrier and things will be less granular. We've had an hour already on January, which I kind of expected or foreshadowed on here. But I remember leaving, going to the airport, and seeing all these women, um, Asian women, I'll say who were in the duty-free stores in the Melbourne airport wearing masks. Mm-hmm. And that was the first like visual cue. And they were like giving like perfume samples. I remember thinking it was really weird. They were like, here, inhale this deeply. But also I'm like not comfortable with the air right now. Yeah. No, and I... it was, it was, that was the first time I was, and I know you connected through Hong Kong. So you probably had yeah, your experience I connected, with it. I connected. But yeah, that was my Melbourne... first time of like, uh oh, things are like, this is, this is different and weird. Well, I, and I remember feeling like a little Hong uneasy Kong going in the airport. Out. Yeah, yeah. That's what like, I meant. So... Yeah. I went Melbourne to Hong Kong to San Francisco, and it was Reem who I was very cavalier with. This may surprise people, given the way that I stand about the pandemic and behavior and isolating and all that sort of stuff now. But like at the time, I was very much in the camp of, I don't know, it sounds like it's like a flu. Like, I really don't think that we have anything to worry about. I think people are overreacting, et cetera, et cetera. So I was flying through Hong Kong, and it was Reem who like happened to have an extra mask. And she was like, here, use it. I'm like, I'm not going to use this. Are you crazy? Like, I don't need it. But um, I flew from Melbourne to Hong Kong. I got out of the airport or got out to go to the lounge in Hong Kong. Total ghost uh, ghost town. Uh, granted, it was also like five o'clock in the morning. So it was like very early in the airport. So it was going to be empty anywhere. But anyway, but it was just very eerie. And that's when like I put I pulled the mask out and like put it on. I remember going into the the lounge and like finding a far corner yeah. where no one was else was there and going the, and and sitting there and feeling safe until this couple came in and again the lounge is completely empty and it's a massive it's the massive Cathay Pacific lounge in Hong Kong like it's enormous yeah. and they went and they sat like right next to me and the woman was coughing the whole time <sighs> and i was just getting and i feel like in that moment i started to kind of begin to process the fact that there was a virus going around and things. And uh, yeah, that was, that was the first, yeah, that was the, that was probably the moment when that lady sat down and I had such an adverse reaction to it and I could not ignore her that I just, I think that's when it started to sink in that like. But then you you still went to Doha, right? Yeah, I did. Yeah. How was Doha on that front? Oh, Doha was fine. I mean, there was the, no, I didn't mask going there. I didn't mask coming home. I remember standing in line to go through immigration to go into Do- into to, to Doha and at the airport. And um, I had to cough. 
but I didn't want to cough because <laughs> I didn't want to stand in line and like cough. And so I was just like holding it the whole time, be like, don't cough, don't cough, don't cough. And then cleared and it was like, ha, <laughs> like, because I had like, because I had taken a swig of water and it went down the wrong, the wrong pipe. Uh. Yeah. So just being mindful of that. But like, yeah, I remember in Doha, same thing. I was still kind of like, is this that serious? Is it not? I don't know, you know. Um, and then obviously a few weeks later, uh, the week before Indian Wells is when kind of everything went crashing down, not just for tennis, but even just for me, um, just understanding what yeah. the ramifications were of what happens if you are sick. Um, so, yeah. Yeah. I remember they were coming to the U.S. or being more clear, like it was coming to come to the U.S. at some point. I remember I went to a, a Flyers Caps game in D.C., hockey game, NHL game, like the third Wednesday or third, I think it was a Wednesday before I would have left for Indy Wells on that Sunday. And like Flyers were winning, we were like high-fiving other Flyers fans around. I remember joking with somebody like, if I'm going to get coronavirus, I'm going to get it from a Flyers fan. And back then it was all about like, um, <laughs> wonderful, wonderfully obnoxious statement. And back then it was all we about innocent. like, well, I, I remember looking, this was one of the things I was remember when, for me, going back through um, things, it was all about like, hand sanitizer and washing your hands was the main yep. talk about thing which now is kind of an afterthought yeah it's not or it's not it, masks are obviously the thing and we're looking back and seeing this press release got put out the day before indian wells canceled so it was on the saturday i didn't realize how close it was i thought it was a bigger gap but where they were like the tournaments indian wells miami and i think charleston maybe was in there too are gonna take these measures by having the ball kids wear gloves yeah that was the fix ball kids and gloves and that just feels like so, so co-quaint and like completely missing the mark and like sort of like you know some like really you know it's i don't know it's some like really like medieval science kind of like misfire of like thinking that you know i don't know that like onions cause tuberculosis not that anyone ever thought that but like equally like sort of random association like oh if they the ball kids wear gloves everything will be fine and yeah and then and then but i remember thinking that it was like that indian wells was in jeopardy i remember thinking like okay i'm gonna go to indian wells and it's probably gonna not finish it'll probably cancel midway through was my thought i was like packing it's like okay we'll go to Indian Wells, probably get through like the first week maybe first four rounds and then we'll like see will they cancel if things get worse like by the quarterfinals or whatever and then there was that email that um wasn't email players uh that came out from the tournament say it louder for the players in the back saying that they were canceling and i remember immediately thinking like it, they started clicking like really quickly, like how big a deal this was. I remember thinking, oh shit, I have to write an article about this because I don't know when I'm going to get to write an article about anything again. <laughs> yeah, I was like, this might be my last paycheck for a where, while. Where, where were you when you got the news that Indian Wells was canceled? I was, it was on my phone. It was an email from Matt Fantine and their PR guy. And I was in my, in my, I think going between the washing machine and the dryer, like doing laundry, prepping, like getting clothes clean for yeah, the trip. Yeah. Yeah. Somewhere between in my my apartment and yeah, and they're just getting it and being like, oh, I had to be fast on this. And also like the office was already like people working from home. New York had been getting hit harder, I think, at this point. Yeah. Um. So the New York Times was already disrupted. Um. And so calling the office and be like, hey, like this thing just happened. And they and I wrote a story on it. And yeah. And that was and that was it. I remember thinking very and then it's inter I wrote down some dates for stuff between this remember. It was interesting, like how fast stuff went. So a few things happened yes. before before this so indian wells canceled on march 8th correct but before this on february 20th the wta 125 in jian china which was scheduled for april already canceled mm -hmm. and i were tweeting something saying like 
oh boy, like it's, you know, it can be interesting to see like if China's ready to host the fall swing. I remember thinking like China's going through it, but not thinking like it's going to disrupt everything, but like this will be interesting China. I was still thinking that way. It's like a China issue, which I think is how we were all seeing it initially. Yeah. Um, and then the the Bergamo uh, ATP challenger, mm -hmm. they had that week it was having, when Bergamo was one of the hardest hit cities in the world, uh, in Northern Italy. Uh, they were having their challenger like during the week of their peak. And they canceled their final, I think. I mean, that was for everything that happened, too. And then on March 2nd, another April, I think, into early May, WTA 125 in Kunming in China was canceled also. So, like, China was getting hit, like, mm -hmm. really with cancellation. Be more proactive with canceling, maybe is another way to say it. And, yeah, and then there's – I, I tweeted that day on March 2nd. Like, if China cancellation is going to roll in, hope WTA is already ready in contingencies for if WTA Asia swing isn't feasible, you know, especially in virus center Wuhan. You know, which and then I thought it was a Wuhan issue. So I was still thinking like very much like this thing over there. Uh oh, mm -hmm. you know. But then yeah, then then it cancels, and it was amazing how quickly I was like, wow, there's not gonna be tennis for the rest of the year. Like I thought that within like 24 hours of India was canceling, yeah. I was thinking no, I think, like I, think a lot I was of taking the over. Like this is if there's no if we need a vaccine to feel safe, the vaccine is not coming anytime soon. And how could we ever go on without a vaccine? I still kind of think that, no, but, <laughs> uh, but, but, um, and then I remember like on March 9th, I went to a, uh, visit my friend, my, my friend is a coach of my old high school tennis team. Mm -hmm. I went to watch like their match cause I had the day off. So I was supposed to be flying, but I had the day off. So I went to their match and like the kids in the, at the match were doing like elbow bumps, the net. And it was like very mm -hmm. quaint, like, oh, we're all adapting to new normal elbow bumps. Um, but then, then by March 18th, so this is less than like 10 days after all this, French Open had already announced it was moving mm -hmm. and the tours were suspended through June 7th. Like things, once things started falling apart, like they really fell apart. And I think the Rudy Gobert Yeah, I was going to say NBA was, was NBA was a NBA big canceling was the big Watching thing that, that in really... real time, because I was in LA on vacation before Indian yeah. Wells and I was at a bookstore in LA when I was just scrolling my phone on Twitter and was like, oh my gosh, it's... Indian Wells is canceled and Avakian was there obviously and yeah. it was like and he had obviously flown over to yeah. cover the event <laughs> so it's kind of like I, I remember both of us sitting because we were at a bookstore I remember both of us sitting at one of those kitty tables <laughs> because that, that that's the only place I had chairs and a table and we both were like sitting at these very low tables in these very <laughs> tiny chairs just kind of stunned and in that moment not just th thinking about well holy shit like Indian Wells is canceled how do we get you home? Can you fly home? Like what's happening? And then, and then at the same time, kind of realizing this is going to snowball. Like I remember I'm thinking, not going to Europe. No, like, I remember I'm thinking, not, you know, yeah. Like I remember thinking that that night after Indian Wells canceled, because I still had I had plane tickets and I didn't think I'd get them refunded. And I think eventually, because eventually, really quickly to their credit, some of these companies like mm. Airbnb, um, the airline, uh, the airline gave me like a voucher or something, which I'm probably expired, whatever. Um, but a lot of these companies were like, issuing, I got a full refund on my rental car for California. I remember that and mm -hmm. thinking like being surprised I was able to get that. Um, yeah. and remember thinking like, well, should I just fly to California anyway? But then I had That's to connect. Right. I remember you were, thinking I had to about connect that. through. Cause I was like, I have like, I want to go see people and like, you know, being California, like it's time off there. I'll be fine. But I remember I connected through Seattle on my flight. I had, I was on Alaska and connecting from Washington to Seattle, Seattle to mm -hmm. Palm Springs. And Seattle was like more of a, like a hot spot for the yeah, virus in those very yeah. early days. And I was like, oh, I don't want to go to Seattle. But like not realizing that everywhere is going to be equally kind of screwed very quickly. Yep. So, yeah, it was just like very, very early proto times. Yeah, it was this, crazy. Uh, I mean, I remember too, like Jimmy, yes. tournament photographer Jimmy, yeah. he was already in Indian Wells. 
And he was like, oh, well, because he was obviously scheduled to do Miami and Miami hadn't made a call yet. And so he was like, hey, could I and I offered I was like, hey, just come up to San Francisco. Like you can stay stay with me until we figure out what Miami is and then you can go, you know. And so that was kind of the plan. And then and then, you know, Trump announced the Europe ban, but like didn't explain what it was. So then it was like a scramble of like, yeah, like like David trying to get his flight situation organized to get back home. And then Jimmy, I like texted him and I was like. I don't, uh, maybe I mean do you still want to come to San Francisco he's like oh hell no I'm going home like, <laughs> I'm out of here I was like good good plan um yeah but I just so I was still in LA I wasn't scheduled to come home until well the earliest I would have gone home well technically I was supposed to go to Indian Wells anyway because there was still as you guys have seen there was still um PR you know we were getting ready for the rebrand all of these videos that you guys are seeing that are player focused were all done at Indian Wells there was a lot of sponsorship related stuff that was happening out there a lot of media opportunity and i was i think i've told the story before like i was supposed to interview billie jean king on thursday of that week in indian wells and i was starting to feel sick on sunday i think i had already mm-hmm. had like kind of congestion um, and I couldn't tell, like, I don't get sick very often. So it was like very weird. Um, and I was very tired and, but my nose was very runny. So I was just staying in LA waiting, biding my time. Like my friends, like Estelle was like, just come to like, you know, just come to Indian Wells. Like, you know, why are you staying in LA? I was like, I don't know. I'm not feeling well. We'll see. And then whatever. And then waking up on like Thursday morning, finally, and just staring at the ceiling and just being like, I cannot be the person that kills Billie Jean King. Like yeah. it just That's and, how it felt. But that's how it felt. Like, but yeah. I'm saying like the way that I feel about the virus ever since and about what is proper conduct in a pandemic and thinking about others and understanding the epidemiological nature of things and how how viruses spread and yeah. all in personal responsibility. I went through I literally like was lying in bed for like 48 hours going through all of it. Like, you know, like yeah. the the full rationale from the beginning to the end and then finally landing on like, I can't kill people. Are you crazy? For what? For an interview? Yeah. Like, absolutely not. You know, and then I, I self-quarantined in L.A. for another 10 days um, and then flew home and kind of like was I live with my parents who are older and was like, stay away. And so just knowing just like being conscious of that as early yeah. as, as March has really influenced that's informed i've done very a very similar thing for me like i didn't want to see my parents like i felt like i actually similar i like the tuesday or so after i it got canceled i went to like go watch a movie uh shoplifters with a friend um at his (laughs) nice um at an apartment at his apartment and he was like feeling like a little bit like sniffling. I remember being annoyed when I got there. He was like, he was like sort of like blowing. So I was like, what did I just walk into? And it was like a guy's apartment who's like sick and like on the onset of a pandemic. I was like, okay, this, he's, he's a nice guy, but absolutely the kind of guy who would die first in a horror movie kind of person. <laughs> and um, he's really not like, the final oh. girl. He's the first guy. <laughs> exactly. And I remember like, oh, this is going to like, this is gonna, absolutely going to, going to like, and I was like, I was like, I can't see my parents. Like, I can't go see my parents like after this. And my parents were like, been like, no, come on, it'll be fine. Like we can go see. And I was like, no. And it's like being very militant about it early. And we had a similar mind. And I still feel that way. I still feel like yep. a huge responsibility. Not do this. And we're still seeing this. There's like some interesting, like not interesting, but like telling story about how like a bunch of college towns have mm-hmm. higher mortality rates um, among their general populations because there's young people who aren't being responsible spreading it to the rest of the town who yep. is unwittingly there 
as the young people are the, are the vectors for this disease. Anyway, all this is to say, like, things shifted quickly. I was looking, like, this is, like, March, like, being very locked down suddenly, very much in the apartment. I didn't even have masks back then, so I didn't even feel like I could, could go places. Yeah, yeah. I didn't own masks. Same. Started doing loads and loads of crosswords, which I know you're a recent recent uh, person on. Well, tough form. Well, actually, I'll just talk about that now. How are you enjoying your uh, your crossword journey? I'm loving here? it. I'm loving it. I have enjoyed it. For people who don't know, I've been doing more. I've been getting into crosswords more. Ben has always been a crossword fiend, like to the extent that I get annoyed sometimes because we would be eating dinner and he would be literally like doing crosswords like while we we're eating, like on your phone. Like, I've seen this much. happen. I can't imagine, but yes. Yes, sure it did happen. happen. Um, and uh, but anyways, I've I, yeah, I've been I've been doing that, and um, I've been enjoying actually the um, the communal nature of it because I've been doing it on Twitch. So people kind of come in. We all, you know, it's it's a group project, <laughs> and we knock it out. I'm learning things. Hopefully, they're learning things. It's a good mm-hmm. time. Um, but yeah, no, it's been fun. It's been fun. Um, I've enjoyed it. I don't love the spelling bee. I like the okay. spelling bee as a group project. Spelling bee is a better group thing. That's more but, of like that's more like everybody shout out answers kind yeah, of thing. Yeah, exactly. More than a crossword. And also, kind of feels like it would. Be, I for me personally, it's impossible to do solo, like to do well. So yeah. I, it's just not fun. So at least sure. like if there's other people, then I can learn. But the crosswords, like I mean, I can do the crosswords by myself. I just get a little unmotivated. Like midway through, I lose my attention. Uh, well, it's interesting in terms so. of crosswords in terms of this year. Like this is where like I really for the first time started like because I was doing like five or six a day crosswords. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it. so I and I was going back through. I like, did this was in March. I went back and did all the twenty twenty ones. I went back and did like almost. I think I've done all the twenty nineteen ones at this point. Or almost at least through like February or something. So almost all the twenty nineteen ones. And you get like you understand the patterns and like the words come up a lot. Like all like, you know, the four letter words with three vowels yeah. in them. You get really easy at spotting those and stuff like that. And so this is where I sort of like start getting like really fast time suddenly, which changed my sort of crossword like just let people mode. understand what we're talking about in terms of the gap in skill level. <laughs> Today I did the Sunday crossword on Twitch with a bunch of very smart people and we worked on it. Um, and the final time was somewhere around an hour 45, but we were kind of talking and chatting during it. So I'll yeah. shave, I'll shave 20 minutes off that time okay. probably. Okay. To be fair. So yeah. So about an hour and a half. So then <laughs> I text Ben, me. I text Ben. I was like, how long did it take you? Cause I was telling them, I was like, I bet you Ben like absolutely crushed this because it has French in it. NHL was an answer, like whatever. So then I like texted Ben. I was like, how long did it take you? How long did it take you, Ben? Oh, it took me 12 minutes and 13 seconds. I couldn't believe it. I was like so mad. I was like, God <laughs> fucking damn this guy. But like, I honestly, and you were like, you thought I was being patronizing. I'm really not. Like I, I've been doing crosswords for way longer. I'm just further along into place. I don't necessarily want to be because now I like, I don't do, I don't, sometimes I do older ones, but I'm always kind of like watching the clock a little bit now. And like, I would, t- when I, you know, like two, You're three years ago. Runs. Yeah, pretty much. And kind of like only. And so I remember like two, three years ago, I was doing them at like Chez Chantal, our French house. Mm -hmm. And it would take me like closer to like 35, 40 minutes to do like the late week ones. Right. And that was like a different, totally different experience. And it's a more puzzle salt, like slower. And now like, I just feel like I'm, yes, no, for sure. I mean, the results, it's a different, it's it's a different satisfaction, different activity. There's a separate in gaming, video gaming. There, there's a whole sec- there's a whole type of gaming called speedruns. Yeah, exactly. Which is like you just try to race to the end. So you're not trying to hit objectives. You're not trying to kill anybody. You're just trying to like 
like just survive just like do just run through the levels and i always watch them like i can see how that could be fun and challenging but it's a different type of challenging than this like you and know? it's like especially with crosswords like it's nice to sort of stop and smell the roses in a crossword and like appreciate certain constructions of things mm-hmm. and like certain themes especially you haven't done many thursdays i don't think but thursdays are where they get like no. they yeah. get like more gimmicky and they have some sort of you, i remember you being annoyed by the concept of thursdays basically I which really, is fair and really but really like annoyed. they have some sort of trick or they'll have like multiple letters in the same box mm-hmm. it's called a rebus and like different things about it and so yeah, it's a different sort of sensation, all this to say. All this to say, like, immediately, like, this is what I had in my life now. And there was no tennis. And everything was just, like, everything, it's just, like, everything reset. Like, yeah. you find myself, like, suddenly then not going outside, not going to restaurants. All of a sudden, I remember my last restaurant meal very clearly. It was at, outside at the diner in my neighborhood, my old neighborhood, mm-hmm. um, with Andrew Eccles. Oh, it's outside. I remember thinking outside was smart even then. I think it was the mm-hmm. Saturday before Indie Wells canceled. It was the day before Indie Wells canceled, I believe. Yeah, just all this stuff. Like, if you had told me, like, in, uh, when we were at, uh, Teach at Fridays in Melbourne, like, you will only go to a restaurant. Like, I will, like, after March, I don't know, 7th, mm-hmm. you won't go to a restaurant again for the rest of the year. I'd be like, I must have died. (laughs) Like, I must have been paralyzed. Something horrible must have happened to me. Like, what on earth prevented this? Like, it's like, it's such, I don't think we can really overstate the disruption to our lives in a lot of ways. And even as people who didn't personally get this illness, but even just the sort of being willing participants in the lockdown and doing things on our own. Like, we had the guy, Tim Callanan, who's an Australian journalist on the podcast a couple weeks Mm -hmm. ago. Yeah. Like, we were kind of on our own doing Aussie-level, like, like Melbourne-level lockdowns, right? Mm-hmm. Problem is it doesn't work when only we do it, when Correct. we're, like, the overachievers, and it's a group project, guys, and the rest of the world is, like, trying to burn down the school. Yeah. But that was the thing, though. I think that my <sighs> anyway. my mental, like, because it just had to be um, for my own personal, like, kind of mental survival of the thing is, like, initially, probably for two, two and a half months there, maybe three months, like, I was so unbelievably concerned about everyone yeah like what is everyone doing like you know and the safety of the of the larger population and you know and being really really stressed out so that every time you did see those videos of people maskless partying whatever it just was this level of furor that I just it was like crippling like it would just throw me off for the entire day like I would just be so fucking mad and then it just got to the point where like you know what I need to take care of myself. I need to take care of my parents in reverse order. The reason I don't go out is not because I'm scared to get the virus. I'm not scared to get the virus. If I die tomorrow, I die tomorrow. Honestly, I'm not even talking shit. That's how I think. But I'm not going to be the one that kills Billie Jean King. And I'm certainly not going to be the one that kills my parents. Yeah. And that was the thing that was like, that made you be so aware because I don't know. I'm a far more selfless person than selfish. Like, I don't really do things for me. You're not about screwing other people up. That's a big thing for you. That is a big thing for me. Much to much the frustration of many people sometimes who are just no, like, no, but that, that, shit or get off the pot. I'm like, no, yeah. but the implications of that are this, this, and this, and it's fine. Like my martyr syndrome is has been peak during the pandemic, as for Ben sure. knows. <laughs> which is which is which I think is overall a good thing. So yeah, I, I looking back at the dates, I didn't realize how relatively quickly because once mentioned my parents who were also like in their sixties and I was worried about them too. Once I, like, had, like, two weeks at home where I'd been home, like, very clearly, and also my roommate had been home because I was more worried about her, like, Your roommate was stressing clock. me out. 
Yes. So her, his um, roommate was not staying home. So it was like no. Ben was trying to self-isolate and do everything so that he could potentially go see his parents, right? Yeah. Like 14 days. Mm -hmm. And she would like come back and be like, and then you're like, oh shit, do I got to restart the clock? I'm like, yeah, you got to restart the clock. And so I think I more or less got comfortable with that. And my parents were just also like kind of going crazy on their own here without mm -hmm. seeing anybody. So I realized I, I relocated my parents' house when I thought it was just like a week or so on April 6th and basically never looked back. So yep. it was less than less than a month after anyone was canceled. I had already like moved out of my apartment. Yep. Like, these were the like the, like how fast things moved back then. Yeah, was and I didn't get all my stuff out of the apartment until like June. So it was, that was more gradual, like coming to like finalizing that. Mm -hmm. But yeah, um, things things shift. And then <laughs> in the things on April 9th, this is minor, but it sure showed like whoa, things are things are moving fast. ATP and WTA both changed their Twitter logos to these like joint like ATBWTA Tennis United logos, which what that ever means in that sort of merge talk, whatever merge talk come after. I don't even care about that for this purposes. But like that was so far from ever happening previously <laughs> that like that things were like already in this like sort of like seismic death con thing. I was like, this is unsettlingly quick that like <laughs> these especially ATP, honestly, for putting WTA logo in their logo, um, that they would be so quick to uh to do that which is sort of like wow thing is i don't recognize this world anymore where am i living what is happening here it happened fast so that is where we're going to call halftime for an intermission on our remember when 2020 show we had the second half of the show about everything else that happened basically after the tours stopped for the first time including their resumption and all sorts of other stuff and how we felt about it and remember feeling about it all of that will be on a show in a couple days. So stay tuned for that. We want to thank all of you for supporting NCR throughout this year as well, including our Slam Champ backers, Liz Kennel, Jonathan Weinbaum, Mary Carrillo, Leah Williams, Chuang Nguyen, Betty, Audrey Wellens, Sean Mulroy, Susanna W., Jean Simeon, and Antonio Maycumber, as well as our GOAT backers, Mike, Nicole Copeland, Pam Shriver, Anna Valinder, and J.O.D. Stay tuned. Enjoy the rest of your 2020s. Oh, and one more thing. I was just listening back to this and editing it. It does seem we do have some more information since we recorded. It is now more official that the Australian Open does plan to start on February 8th and have tickets on sale and stuff. And have the ATP Cup, it seems like before that, although not many ATP Cup details are out yet. So I did notice some ATP Cup skepticism in this recording that maybe should be... Uh, tabled for a while so we'll see how that all goes still obviously a lot of balls in the air and uncertain stuff but uh hoping everything bounces well in tennis and in your lives bye guys